Welcome to After the JAG Corps, Navigating Your Career Progression, a podcast for judge advocates leaving military service. After the JAG Corps assists officers transitioning from the military law practice by learning from individuals who have successfully embarked on new careers, providing insight on rewarding professional opportunities, job search strategies, resumes, the value of your military experience, and more. Now, here is your host, Tom Welsh. In today's podcast, I talked to Jordan Foley, an active duty Navy judge advocate, and we're going to talk about his nonprofit that he started when he still runs while on active duty. Incredible story and incredible work that he's doing. So after this quick ad read, you will hear my conversation with Jordan Foley. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So Jordan, active duty Navy, I know I don't know you, I only know you from LinkedIn, and my reason for getting you on the podcast was you run a nonprofit, I want to talk about it. But when we connected on LinkedIn, you've got more to your story. So introduce us to Jordan Foley. Thanks for having me on, Tom. I really appreciate it. And I, I guess eclectic might be one way to describe my background, but it's an interesting path that I took to become a Navy JAG. And it starts actually when I decided to go to the Naval Academy a very long time ago when I was in eighth grade. We toured the Naval Academy as a middle school, and I just fell in love with it. My grandpa was enlisted in the Navy, and he always said the best naval officers came from the Naval Academy. So, you know, it was something I set my mind to. It took me two times of applying to get in. But from there, I, uh, you know, really wanted to prove myself. You know, getting denied in the first year, I really applied myself throughout the four years and uh, ended up graduating in a position to go to graduate school. I went to MIT for two years, qualified as a space operations officer uh, with the Air Force up there in Boston at Lincoln Laboratories in Hanscom Air Force Base. And I think one of the most important things I learned there was just being a fly on the wall in uh, meetings, advising a principal decision maker. I started to notice that I was on the outskirts, I was standing on the side, but uh, everybody at the table was either a JD or a PhD. And, you know, the person taking in all the information there was listening to them pretty intently. And I thought, you know, hey, I really like this national security work. I think one day I want to be at that table and it looks like I got to get one of those degrees. But before I could get one of those, I served as a submarine officer as part of my Naval Academy commitment and had an interesting career there. Did some shipyard time, did some underways and operations in the Atlantic, did a change at home port to San Diego, did some operations in the Pacific and actually applied to the Navy law education program and law school from a submarine because I, I knew about that time, you know, to qualify for the law education program, you can't be longer than six years of active service. And that was about my window there. So working through the submarine community releasing me, me getting into law school and getting into LEP was all under the water somewhere in the Pacific. And as you could tell, it worked out. And I uh, attended Georgetown Law and uh, became a Navy JAG and uh, served my first tour down in Naval Air Station Pensacola, which is uh, part of that uh, Region Legal Service Office Southeast. It's a detachment out there. And now I am actually at OJAG Code 10, which is a national security law division, doing some of the things I love, uh, some of the background I have with everything that goes on from whether it's, you know, me 
being a Chinese speaker and serving with the Chinese Navy on an exchange program to doing law of war, law of the sea type stuff that I did as an operator. Really great. But, uh, you know, the nonprofit you mentioned, Tom, it's interesting because I don't really consider myself a businessman. But while I was in law school, I had a Naval Academy buddy. He was starting businesses after his five-year commitment was over with the Navy. And he uh, was trying to do some type of Uber Eats uh, spinoff, was not successful, fell into some depression. And then he died by suicide in February 2019. And I felt if there's not enough resources out there for veterans starting businesses, especially someone who has an alumni network like the Naval Academy, what are the chances for your typical enlisted sailor getting out wanting to do this? And I, I did my research. And I actually found there's a lot of nonprofit organizations helping veterans start businesses, but they were all mile wide and an inch deep. And I thought that's not a good model because they say, hey, I can help any veteran start any business. But in reality, they're saying they help 30,000 veterans in a year, but they're really only sending them to like a week long course and, you know, giving them a PDF packet of information. So I said, well, I'm going to invert that model. I'm going to hyper focus in one industry so deeply that I can take a veteran from almost zero knowledge in an industry to business ownership. I naturally chose the culinary industry. Growing up in a big Italian family, cooking and eating was a big thing. But also culinary specialists in the Navy, especially in the submarine, were some of my favorite sailors. I want to unpack that a little bit. What year did you graduate from the academy? I was 2012. So you're 2012. And so it was about 2018. Uh, if it was the six-year window, 2017, 2018, that you were coming up on the LEP window that going to close on you. So when, when yep. did you go to law school? That was 2018 and graduated in 2021. And then you started your JAG tour. But we got talking about your nonprofit. I mean, it's an incredible story about the motivation of, of what you do. What's the name of your nonprofit? It's called Let's Chow. And, and you can check it out on letschow.org and just see all the things we do there. What have you learned? I mean, it's still a business. You still got to have a business model if you want to stay in existence long. How have you learned all that? Where did you learn all this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, during law school, right? I'm I'm thinking, well, I'm a law student. I should be able to pick up an instruction, a reference or something. And, you know, I'm a submariner too. So I should be able to follow some guidance and figure it out. That was really where I picked it up is, you know, I talked to some people who started 501c3 nonprofits, learned step-by-step step how I needed to file as a business and then file as a tax exempt you know, organization under, under the IRS. I mentioned February, 2019, I learned about my friend's death. Well, it took until January of 2020 to start Let's Chow and get our nonprofit status. So it took some time took some research. But from that, I've learned a ton, Tom. I mean, I, I've learned you know, how long it potentially takes to pay yourself. And I've learned what are the important revenue streams, obviously, as a nonprofit, right? For us, it's grants and donations. And we have to protect that in a certain way that makes it really important for us to show what we do, get out there in the public sphere, show impact and things. And, and I think one of the most valuable things I've learned from that is not only you know how to run a business and how to be an entrepreneur, I think that's one thing, but, but a social enterprise. A very different idea, a very different management structure, and very different goals than than your typical startup. And uh, having law school, and then believe it or not, having COVID, time to just Zoom call tens of twenty people per week, talking and talking, talking, figuring this out was really how it all came together. Yeah, and how do you balance all of that now between your work, your professional life, and running a nonprofit? Yeah, Tom. I mean, I, I sometimes joke that if Let's Child ever becomes a business school case study, we might be the worst case study in the history of because when they say, how did you get your revenue to start up? We just won a bunch of competitions. We just started applying to 
competitions through schools and things like that and getting that money. And what that money allowed us to do is buy our first food truck. And, you know, I'll mention that, you know, we help veterans in the culinary space by training them on food trucks. And then from that one food truck, we really showed impact, uh, whether it was at the city government level or working with veterans in the area. It was a Maryland-based truck. We now have four food trucks nationwide, spanning San Diego, Atlantic City, D.C., and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So we're all over now. But really, what we did is we were able to gain that revenue, gain those grants and donations. And uh, I was able to hire somebody full-time, who's my COO, to run it day-to-day while I provide morning email strategic guidance or what we need to do for the day. And then in the evening, figuring out what we're doing, our weekly calls outside the workday. Without that full-time employee and somebody who's excellent at managing so many things, this doesn't work in a full-time job structure like the Navy JAG Corps. But having that and getting that starting cash that way and, and being able to pay somebody for this to be their full-time job in under four years, right? We're, we're not even four years old yet. All of that has led to our success. And, and honestly, I, I don't know if I could pay myself an 0304 salary, even, even to this day, under what we, you know, what we bring in. So having this employee and having those funds and having donors and organizations that believe in us has led to the longevity of Let's Chow. Two questions here. One, how do service members find out about Let's Chow? And two, how many do you estimate that you've trained to date? Yeah, well, service members can find out about us. We were participating in SkillBridge. So that was one way people were finding out about us. We would serve food at the academy, the Naval Academy, and you know, one third of the officer corps comes from the Naval Academy. So that was one way to get out there. But we've actually found a pretty robust social media and marketing campaign to be one of the main ways people get us and get in touch with us. We've done so well at that, that we almost get daily inquiries from all around the nation. Just yesterday, I was replying to somebody in Boise, Idaho, who's a veteran interested in uh, starting their food truck. We can go through the process of how that goes from person being interested to food truck, but the inquiry is, is the first step. And then we have a long process of figuring out who's able to do this, who wants to do it, who has the professional model. And we can do everything from designing a logo for them all the way up to uh, you know budgeting and developing a menu. So that that's kind of the start. But then next part of the question too is, well, that's how service members find out about us. That's what we, you know, what we do. And then, you know, we can, you can visit letschow.org to see our impact. But this year alone, we have 18 businesses all around the nation. And and we, like I said, hyper-focus is a good way to describe it. I think we do hyper-focus. And because of that, because of our model, we can't legitimately say, hey, we helped 30,000 veterans. No, no, no. We focus on our businesses where we're starting up companies. And right now we have 18 people starting up different companies from menus ranging from Afghan food to Spanish tapas to Filipino street food to coffee and pastries. And we're focused on all of them. To date, we've helped 45 people start businesses and we've helped actually more, uh, believe it or not, people decide they don't want to go into the culinary business. That might not seem like a great model of saying, oh, you know, let's chow. Are you discouraging people? Well, it's the opposite. They're, They're able to work and get paid in our system and learn what the culinary industry is like. And It is hard. It's a 50% fail rate in your first year. You dedicate your life to it. And if they realize, wow, that was not for me, I'm glad I learned that now, they didn't invest $70,000 in a food truck or took out a loan for a brick and mortar. 
So we've, we've helped 45 businesses start up and, and increase profitability, some up to tenfold. But we've also helped a lot of people realize, uh, you know what, that dream being in the culinary industry, boy, that was hard. And I'm glad I didn't go any further. And I'm glad I got the exposure. So a lot of people in our system, but we're really proud to say 18 different businesses this year are seeing success under our model. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the, the whole food truck has become a genre in and of itself. But yeah, take us through the process. So somebody says, you know what, I want to I want to get in the culinary business. I want to have a food truck. Take us through the program. Yeah, absolutely. Let's just say you found us online and you you entered an inquiry into our online system. We take it in, we process it, we figure out, hey, if you're in one of our geographic locations, that's awesome. If you are in San Diego, Fort Lauderdale, Atlantic City, or, or the DC area, we can get you in a truck and get you practicing faster. If you're not, that's fine. You know, that that's okay. But what we start is with our kitchen with a mission program. And I could even back up further to say, if you come to us and say, hey, I've never even chopped a vegetable, no idea, don't know about sanitation, that's fine too. We have 10 hours of online culinary training that result in a national certification called ServeSafe. And what that does is it teaches you how to safely handle food. And that's a typical three credit class at a community college culinary school about a $3,000 value whenever you put everything together, but that's offered for free for all of our veterans. I and mean, they can do that. They can achieve that certification if they're starting at a uh, near zero baseline. You know, you could imagine typically we don't get somebody starting there, but what we do is we, we do the kitchen with a mission program. And what that is, we fund them to, well, we'll find a church kitchen. Usually churches are great. Fraternal organizations are also great for us too, because they have certified kitchens and they also are a nonprofit. So we can work with them to utilize their kitchen space for events in that area. So let's just use the Boise, Idaho example. We get an inquiry from Boise. We understand they have somewhat of an idea of what they want to do. We're going to start working with American legions, with churches, uh, with partners in Boise to find kitchen space. And we're going to help that person who inquired into our program. We're going to set them up with a time and we're going to set them up with another nonprofit, usually Veterans Homeless Shelter or, uh, you know, things like that, a women's in something uh, along those lines to prepare food on a given day for those people. And we fund the food, we pay at menu level price, and then we train from that. We get them to send us their grocery list. We get them to talk about their portioning, talk, show pictures, how things came out. The people always enjoy the food, but as you could imagine, starting up a menu you know, takes a lot of trial and error. So, you know, the good byproduct of that is pretty delicious food. But as we're developing it, you know, we're doing this, we're doing kitchen with a mission. So they do this over the course of several months, depending on how frequently they're able to get in the kitchen and operate. We do fly them out to our trucks and to our events. You know, actually in October, we have a an MRE re reimagined competition in Atlantic City where we're playing with a culinary school picking an MRE out of a bag. And uh, these teams of veterans, chefs from the food truck have to use those ingredients, not the MRE itself, but those, yeah. those flavors to create a dish. And uh, we're flying out, you know, people who have inquired all over the, you know, the nation to that event to participate. But what happens is, for example, like in San Diego, when we get somebody who is operating at a high level for these kitchen with a mission events, when we get the funding for a truck, we send it there and we say, all right, this is your next step. Here's your truck. Now they're using that truck. It's their revenue that they're gaining. So every dime they make goes to their program, goes to what they're doing. We help them form an LLC. We, we make sure we're, we're, you know, we're, we're operating professionally and we help them with branding and marketing too. And, and from that, it depends then, Tom, on what their goals are. If they're a brick and mortar and they want, or they want to be a brick and mortar, that could take five years in a truck. For example, our coffee truck down in Miami and Fort Lauderdale, 
they want to just get more exposure for grocery stores. So that that's maybe a one to two year timeline sometimes. So it just depends on what the business is and, and what their goals are. But from start to finish, it could take a while, but we are talking about uh, an industry where, you know, half the people fail in the first year and uh, over 70% of the people will shut their doors before five years is up. So this is, this isn't really for the faint of heart and you, you do need the training. So that's why it takes so long. But if you're dedicated and you want to do this, it may be a long time since you send that email to us when you start your actual own brick and mortar. But tell you what, I think, you know, we all know this veterans are incredibly hardworking and uh, incredibly deserving of this. And, you know, we'll get you there. It sounds like a phenomenal program. I'm just sitting here thinking about, you know, I, I, I do real estate on the side and I, I tell people, had I known the cash investment up front and it wasn't much, you know, it was like four or $5,000 for, for insurance and for uh, office fees and licenses and training stuff. And it, it was, so it wasn't that much. And it's something that you make back relatively quickly. But all the things you described there from maybe getting basic hygienic certifications to getting trained in the kitchen to having that space to develop a menu. You know, you may be good at one or two things, but to to round out that menu, to be able to, to make a go of it and figure out portions. And I mean, that is incredible. I mean, that's a lot of space to, like you said, to try and err. And so people go through and they decide to go launch their own truck. At that point, are they on their own or is there other assistance for them to to get in the business? No, I mean, once uh, once you're part of our system, you're always part of our system. They're going to be more independent, but we keep the landing page on our website for them. We help them with booking. If people inquire to us saying, hey, I, I'm in this area and I could really I really want a catering event, but I also want to give back to veterans. Um, we saw you have this truck. You know, we we coordinate that with them. They're always part of our system in a way. It'll depend on how much you know, they need from us, depending on, you know, how independent they are. But we've provided support to people who have assessed out of the program and pursued, you know, their culinary ventures now, but they're always able to come back with us. And a really cool thing about what we do too, is we do get a lot of consumer packaged goods. You know, we get, we get veterans who want to make hot sauces and, and things like that and coffee. We have our online marketplace we're developing where, you know, not only do we help these products launch, but you can always come back to the Let's Chow market to buy them. And they're there. They're another place where, you know, online presence where you can come and get these things. And here's another thing I learned is, you know, when you know Google will give you about $10,000 of grants for ads, um, you can promote your website as a nonprofit. And boom, when people search food trucks, you know, we come up really quickly. And, and that helps the veteran businesses and the veteran products that we have too. And that's, that's a, another way we utilize in-kind money to elevate our other businesses that have come through our program. So you've got this alter ego and you'd already kind of alluded to it. You know, you had the time and the space to grow yourself because you have a paycheck coming in, right? So you're not having to fund this entirely out of pocket. We always know that when you have a nonprofit or you have your own business, you're taking care of business. But do you see this sort of as your life calling after you leave the JAG Corps, whenever that may be, or is this something that you'll do for a while? I mean, or is it, is it a matter of, we don't know, TBD? Yeah, no, it's it's a good question, and you know, I think for me, you know, this, this could be for a lot of people, but I've always had a passion for cooking. I think there's a parallel path in my life where I would have been a chef and gone to culinary school. Obviously, everybody on this podcast who's listening and who went to law school probably hate me for saying this, but I actually during law school finished culinary school. I, I went to a community college in an Annapolis area, Anne Arundel Community College, 
And I graduated from culinary school because I said, I want to professionalize myself in this. And I'm pursuing a lot of other professional opportunities in the culinary space to learn more and get better. And, you know, working with other chefs that are, that are much you know, better known than I am um, has mm-hmm. been really, and I think it is when I can retire in about eight years, get a pension and, you know, be able to support my family. My kids will be a lot older, ready for college, really. I see this as something I want to do. Whether it's in the form of Let's Chow or whether it's something where I can have more impact uh, helping veterans start businesses, uh, culinary businesses, or whether it's you know doing something good through the culinary arts, um, it's definitely a calling. I want it to be in the form of Let's Chow, and I want it to be something I'm running and I've created. But you know that that's that's kind of the thing is is you would think there's no ego in the nonprofit space. You'd actually be really surprised to know there's a ton of ego. It's just we're humans. There's ego everywhere. So when, when you do this and say, you know, I just want maximum impact, you really need to mean it. And, and I do whatever Let's Child becomes, I want it to be for maximum impact uh, for the demographics I want to support. And I do think this is, uh, you know, my, my third life, as I sometimes like to say, you know, I was a submariner, then I became, uh, you know, Navy JAG. And then, uh, you know, I'll be a, a chef working, you know, for, for a not-for-profit type uh, organization. And, and after being a lawyer for however long that is. So, so yeah, I think that would be my ideal situation. But as we kind of talked about, you know, money's important for raising families and, and quality of life. And I, you know, I think getting to retirement and having a pension w- would really help me facilitate that, which I think is another great thing about, you know, the Navy pension and, you know, allowing us to pursue more public service that way. You know, that your, your nonprofit's an incredible story in of itself. That was my, that was my attraction to bring you onto this podcast. But you also were forced to contemplate leaving the Navy. Tell us about that and how you went about that and what you learn and those sorts of things. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. This is, you know, this is something I'm not, you know, shy about talking about. I feel like anybody who's a JAG, uh, who's gone through promotion boards will understand where I'm coming from. But I was, uh, you know, selected for LEP in my sixth year, which meant I was eligible or, you know, in zone, as we like to call it, for 04 Lieutenant Commander when I was in law school. And What was happening for a lot of years is when you were in zone in law school, you would get what's called passed over or failed to select. It's called a FOS. And you would thought, yeah, see, you know, a lot of us are going to relate to that, which a lot of our LEPs, we were like, of course, we're going to FOS. We're in law school. I haven't even taken the bar. But then the whole narrative was, yeah, next year you definitely get promoted because if you did not get promoted a second time, what is a two times FOS, as some people may know here too, is uh, you were actually forced out of the Navy within six months of that board notification. So, of course, the Navy would never double FOS someone it's sent (laughs) to school and paid to go to law school because that would be insane uh, because I was a lawyer for less than a year by the time that board came out. Lo and behold, there's people who screwed up and they've acknowledged their mistake. And I raised attention when I should have, and maybe I wasn't forceful enough. But at the end of the day, everybody learned lessons from this. And for some reason, because of well, most likely a policy change where what's called above zone markers on board packages. Nobody knew I was above zone and I had fozzed in law school. So when they saw my record, they just said, oh, okay, we'll get them next year. Well, for the first time, because this is the first time this above zone policy was in effect, for the first time, a law education program officer was essentially fired from the Navy. So for about three months, Tom, from August 2022 till about late October, November timeframe, everybody understood, we can't believe we let this happen. This is a black eye, but first 2023 
my man, you're on your own. And I said, you know, holy cow, I was expecting to stay until at least 2027. That was my commitment. I, I didn't have to think about jobs. I didn't have to think about anything. I was going to be a Jag. So I had let's chow, right? So that was one thing, but very much like all of us who have seen a maritime operations center, I kind of had to stand that up. I had to stand up all my contacts and say, Hey, all my mentors and stuff, I need to start applying for jobs. So I need letters of rec. I need to talk to you about career stuff. And I cast a wide net for those three months. You know, I was applying for government jobs. I was applying for clerkships. I was applying for, I mean, even fundraising jobs at at universities, things that I said, well, I kind of have an interest now that I've run this nonprofit. And then we were working with donors to fund my salary full time to the point where that was a viable option as well in March. So we worked hard and I worked hard with my, my network to set up a bunch of options. And you'd be surprised at how low that batting average is for success on applying to jobs. I think uh, oh, yeah. I maybe overinflated my own ego saying, you know, hey, look at me and, you know, I do this, that and the other and I'm special. You know what? Like I was batting below 10 percent, you know, about one out of every 10 jobs I'd hear back and some of the USA jobs you would never hear back from. So, you know, people get ready for that. Even if you're prepared, I would like to think I was, I had a good network, but I got surprised. And I also had a company I was running that could have paid me to to just run it. And I was still worried. You know, I had to figure, you know, what was going to happen to my family, right? I have two girls and a spouse and I'm, I'm the only salary in our family. It was shocking. But I think the one takeaway from that was don't ask why me and don't dwell on that, but but just ask what's next. Um, that's the only thing I, I could think of is just thinking what's next? What do I need to do to succeed versus how did I not fa- how did I fail to select? What was wrong with me? What was wrong with the system? What's done was done. Moving forward, I had to figure it out. But long story short, they corrected an error and sent me to a special selection board back when I was in law school, actually as a submarine uh, in, in, in a line board, uh, not a staff core board. And, and I did end up selecting from when I was in law school. So it all got corrected, but it took until about April of 2023 and my, my separation orders being on hold for that period of time for that all to get solved, but not fun. I don't wish it upon anybody, but I guess if there was anybody who was going to take that on the chin, I'm glad it was me because, you know, years of whether it was playing football at five, nine and 175 pounds, or whether it was just being in the Navy for that long, you just, you just kind of learn to get back up and figure out what you got to do to succeed next. Yeah. You know, I, I fuzzed twice to 05 and I mean, it's the longest two years mentally you're, you're confronting it every day. You're asking those questions. What, what did I do? How come me? Why did it happen? What did I fail? What could I have done different? And it does take time to realize that it's not a perfect system. And, and, you know, and I've been in in boards when I worked at Navy Personnel Command. It's a, it's a pretty fair process. You can't really, really can't conspire without breaking the law. But at the same time, you know, there's, there's other ways you can make it more, I think, anonymous or, or remove some of the things that would help even make it better. But it is a tough road to go through when you FOS and those, those doubts and those questions. And, you know, I remember looking saying, if I stay Navy to get a pension continuation board, I'm looking at a most a $500 pay raise for the next eight, nine years outside of, you know, cost of living adjustments. And oh, by the way, we were getting ready to have our fifth kid. And it's like, I can't stay. So, you know, that's just an incredible story. I mean, the amount of money they invested in you to go to law school. And of course that wouldn't happen. And it happened. 
So it's it's great that they got that fixed. Man, you have lived a full adult life already, and you're what, 30-something, 40-something? No, thir- 35, just uh, this past June. So I, 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 feel, I feel it, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's gone by, uh, 12 years in the Navy has gone by pretty fast. Now, back to your Let's Chat, have you linked up with any of those other military nonprofits like the Gary Sinise Foundation? I know they're more targeted to individuals, but I was just wondering if you've connected with them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, actually, we're uh, developing a very meaningful partnership with the Robert Irvine Foundation. For those not familiar with Chef Robert Irvine, is uh, he was in the UK Royal Navy as a enlisted cook, and then he's gained so much success. And you you will see him. You know, his Fit Crunch bars are at MWRs and at you know the next gas stations and things. But and he does Restaurant Impossible, but. He has a dedicated mission of helping veterans through through the culinary arts, and so do we. And we've been in touch with him for years now, and we're working on a very meaningful partnership that's not only going to elevate Let's Chow to the next level, but also everything the Robert Irvine Foundation does. And that, that's one of our most meaningful partnerships. Amazon Military is another great partnership. They've paid for us to go feed about 500 homeless veterans in New York City on uh, Veterans Day last year, um, and we did it out of an Amazon Fresh. So I was just cooking from food truck as burger meat, you know, ground beef and all this stuff was just coming in. And it was, uh, man, that was, that was a long five and a half hours of cooking, but it was, it was, it was a blast. And it was also with Amazon prime, uh, Jack Ryan. So we had a couple stars from the Jack Ryan series, you know, around the truck, Michael Kelly and Wendell Pierce, if you're familiar with, with their work, uh, were there. So that was great. And then, you know, we, we have a couple other organizations toast, which you've definitely swiped your card out of toast point of yeah. sale. They've supported us as well, but the Robert Irvine Foundation, credible program, what he does and what he puts into his work and, and how he helps veterans is what made us want to gravitate towards his organization and create a meaningful partnership. And, you know, for a four-year-old company, it's great to say that we have meaningful relationships with those organizations. But like, like we said, Tom, it was, it was a matter of early financial success, but I think we're, we have broad appeal in the sense that we're helping veterans achieve the American dream. And we're also feeding communities at the same time. So I, th- I think a lot of that comes from the mission and the way we the way we put it out there. If I'm listening to this podcast and I want to support one of these Let's Chow veterans, uh, graduates, uh, how do I know? Do I have to go on the website or do they have some kind of markers on their truck to know that they're a graduate of this program? I'm going to go throw my money at them. Oh, yeah. We, we do a lot of co-branding on the truck. So you'll know when you're in one of those cities I mentioned, you'll see the Let's Chow and then we roll their logo into it. Really great example, and I encourage everybody to look at it because we're getting better, right? We're learning every day. Really great example of the future of our branding of these trucks is the Fort Lauderdale truck. It's with a company called Calvera Coffee. We've just completely blended their logo into ours where they're both distinct, but it all just flows on the truck. So take a look at that Fort Lauderdale food truck page and see that, but you're going to see our logo, our blue spoon with a star. Another great thing about being a lawyer, Tom, is I got that federally trademarked, you know, so I went through the whole process and now we own that, you know, that's ours, but that blue spoon with the star in it. And then the let's chow, um, you know, that that's us, you'll see it. And, you know, the hope one day is, you know, Hey, right now it's, it's, you know, we, we have a good following. We have a lot of people, we do great at season of giving, but my hope is one day that blue spoon and a star is as recognizable on better known products as a USDA organic or, you know, something like that, where it's, oh, we know this is veteran owned, small business and trained the right way and proceeds are going to, you know, to a good place. So, so that's it. Another way to support too, is we always like to say, 
hey, monetary donations are great, but in the spirit of how we started to combat veteran suicide, if you can tell 22 uh, people in your network about Let's Chow to symbolize the 22 veterans who die by suicide a day, that can be done by sharing us on social media or sending our website to a, a listserv. That's really helpful to us because monetary donations are fantastic and we appreciate every single dollar. In fact, $4 will uh, buy a hot meal for somebody in need and provide 15 training minutes for a veteran. But by getting us more people in our program to help and finding us those opportunities to help veterans who are looking for <laughs> assistance in, in one of the most competitive industries, that, that's, that's truly invaluable. And, and we, we ask you to do that. Well, Jordan, you have given us a lot to think about. I will be, of course, including the website and your LinkedIn profile on the uh, write-up for this. But incredible story, great work. I mean, obviously, you'd rather have your friend, but what a way to honor his memory by helping your fellow veterans out. And I wish you continued good health and good success. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on, Tom. And, um, you know, just to say that is I think we all, you know, we all handle grief differently. I think as Jags, we all have to work through a lot of hard issues when we're, you know, when we're litigating things like that. But I, you know, I want to recommend, you know, we always say there, there's always somebody to talk to. But, you know, I consider myself a resource for anybody who's ever put a uniform on. So when you, when you share my profile and my contact information, Tom, you know, I'd like to, anybody who listens is, you know, I would like to consider myself as much of a resource as anyone. And, and I'd be willing to pick up that phone and talk because, uh, you know, I, I had it impact my life very deeply. And, uh, you know, I never want to you know have to hear about that again from from somebody I, I've known and, and loved pretty dearly. So uh, open door policy when it comes to, to contacting me for, for anything like that. Awesome, Jordan. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Thank you for listening. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe and tell your friends. After the Jag Corps is a TJW 50 Associates LLC production.